millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Did you know something? Fun fact. Mm. We're throwing a fun fact right now. Okay. I'm pretty sure that the original voice of Tony the Tiger is also the same performer who sang You're a Mean One, Mr. Grinch. Whoa. Yeah. Whoa. I believe his name is Thurl Ravenscroft. What? Yes. Thurl Ravenscroft. Yes. So he's a gnome from Skyrim is, is what he is. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Are you kidding? Seriously? I'm 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 pretty sure. I was watching The Grinch with the wife on Christmas Eve and just happened to look that up. Um, and I thought, oh wow, this guy is the original Tony the Tiger. That is impressive. Let me just look this up right See, now. I thought it was a more famous recording artist who did it. It's just this guy who did these two things. I mean, I guess he was too busy like imbuing artifacts and uh right. you know. <laughs> Capturing dragon souls. Right, right. Making great axes, you know, in in the Skyforge. Of course. Thurl Arthur Ravenscroft. Holy shit. How do you get a name like that, man? I don't know. I feel like you've got to pay for a name like that. Seriously. Was an American actor, voice actor, and bass singer known as the booming voice behind Kellogg's Frosted Flakes animated spokesman Tony the Tiger. He was also the uncredited vocalist for the song You're a Mean One, Mr. Grinch. Oh, he was uncredited. That's why. Yep. Yeah. That's wild, dude. That is bonkers. <laughs> oh, man. All right. That is so, insane. Uh, yeah, you want right, to get let's into this get episode? Into let's yeah. do it. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Goat Season. Thank you so much for being with us. We're excited to have you. This is a podcast about the greatest individual seasons of television of all time their most memorable episodes, and their creative teams, both in front of and behind the camera. I'm your co-host, Phil Mitchell, and along with me is the man with many mic- nicknames. With many nicknames. Known, many nicknames. Mm. Hey, I'm only Known half that- Irish. Come on, man. You there can't you be go. throwing that around. <laughs> Known yes. in the Deep South as only the devil's burden. <laughs> only Alex in the Sinesi. deepest of the only south only in the deepest south yes alex sinesi that is my here. actual name glad to have yeah. you too bro oh yeah uh today we're talking about episode four of the sopranos yes. yeah meadowlands getting into mm-hmm. this this should be good i'm excited oh yeah man like we were talking about this episode really ties together the mini arc that's been going on for the past three episodes as I was saying, like kind of structurally, it feels like a miniature season finale. It feels mm-hmm. like the same sort of extended resolution across all of the the previously, you know, created story threads. Yeah. And uh, I think it's no coincidence that it was directed by the same guy who directs the season finale, John Patterson. John Patterson. Yeah. yeah. Who um, handled a bunch of their season finales. He actually passed away kind of young, I think, before the show ended. But uh, really, yeah, like his last directing credit, I think, was the season five finale. 
but uh, he was really well liked by the cast and crew. And uh, I mean, I think he does an awesome job. I think you look at it and this episode covers so much ground. It has so mm-hmm. many different subplots and it just sort of fluidly moves between them. And uh, yeah, it handles yeah. them pretty deftly. Yeah. And quite masterfully, I think. I think so too. Very deft indeed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. For sure. And lots of little like set pieces, you know, nothing too major, but you know, lots of little confrontations and and every single one of them is sort of well covered and fluid, but they, they run together really well. It's, it's not yeah. like, it doesn't feel like a choppy episodic sort of story, you know? No. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, so um, the episode starts with the first dream sequence in the entire series. It's uh, the first one that we see, right? Yeah, yeah. Because he yeah. talks about the one with the ducks and the pilot, of course. But uh, this is the first one that's actually visualized and stylized kind of in the, the manner that later ones will be. And it's uh, one of my favorites. It's it's solid, man. I mean, you know, it's it's not as elaborate and disturbing as they get later on, certainly. No. But uh you got all the hallmarks there, the really wide angles and mm-hmm. uh, sort of intense sound design in the background, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but my my favorite part is just, this is maybe the best shot of Polly Walnuts ever. <laughs> when he oh, puts yeah. that newspaper down and he's <laughs> just, got the, the wings going and yeah. he's lit from above. He looks like Sam the Eagle from the Muppets, dude. Oh my gosh. It's yeah, that book so he's intense. given the camera is great. Yes. It's perfect. Yes. that Yeah, that whole sequence, I love it. Just from start to finish. It starts mm-hmm. and it's so uncomfortable yeah. with Melfi with like the short skirt and like the legs and it's like ah this is weird i I don't really like this and then it transitioned into uh what is it he walks out of her office he sees aj briefly yeah looking in at him Mm -hmm. um and then he sees silvio dante who's getting it on with some girl just just mugging like crazy man yeah (laughs) yeah I, where does it go from there? It's then, um, then you see Polly and right. Big Pussy with the right. cigar, uh, Freud reference, I'm sure. And then he mm-hmm. walks back in. And before the reveal, when it's just, you know, the back of Melfi's head, that's when you get Jackie, you Jackie know, Aprile. sitting up. Yeah. And he mentions like thunderstorms, thunderstorms and rain. I thought that was interesting because the very next episode, college has like a big thunderstorm in the middle of that's it. Right. And, uh, mm-hmm. Weather in general is is like a, a touchstone through this season where where they bring up like shifting weather patterns you know sort of prefiguring uh right. what's going on you know some pathetic fallacy type shit some you know literary reference type deals of course. why not <laughs> yeah your look of disgust is totally warranted right there <laughs> you know what's all we skipped over the fact that heshi or, or hesh Oh, yeah. Goes up at the very beginning. And he's like outside the window and he's walking and it's it just doesn't look right. He's he's walking like he's floating. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. He's on a treadmill or or some, you know, moving sidewalk uh, type apparatus. Yeah, that's 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 a nice moment. And I think Dr. Melfi refers to him as Heshi, which Mm -hmm. is interesting in that moment because it's almost like a pet nickname that she's giving him. Yeah, and I feel like it's implying that she knows him intimately, which Tony clearly is like terrified of. Right, right, right. She yeah. has familiarity with all, mm-hmm. all of his friends and that mm-hmm. that terror revisits him through the episode that he's going to be discovered. Yeah. yeah. So I think after that, I mean, just I guess a recap of the entire episode, there's the dream sequence um, and then that shifts to Christopher getting out of the hospital mm-hmm. um, in the previous episode he had. Ooh, Uncle Junior had him tuned up by a couple of thugs. Um, he yeah. went, underwent the the mock mock execution there. Um, and so Christopher's just getting out of the hospital with Adriana's help. It's really a really funny, scene. fantastic scene, <laughs> fantastic scene. She kills it. I love just everything that uh, Drea uh, De Matteo is bringing to that scene. Yeah, um, we haven't talked about her much, man. We haven't. Yeah, you think I'm, we sh- we definitely should. Uh, oh, for sure. And I mean, episode ten, I guess, is kind of her spotlight episodes Mm -hmm. and maybe we'll go more into her backstory there but uh it's so cool to see how in the pilot she was this unnamed restaurant hostess Mm -hmm. clearly cast for just a a one scene part and 
Chase liked her. He he brought her back in. You know, she gets this role. And just episode by episode, she's getting more dialogue, more material, more right. chances to shine. Uh, I think this is the first scene where she really gets a like big showcase and she yeah. and uh imperioli are just so good in it so funny together he's really making that like neck brace work through this whole episode too <laughs> he just <laughs> the way that his head is just like shrunken into it he looks so pathetic so sad <laughs> and does. so vulnerable too right he like it's does. just this guy trying to be so tough but he is just yeah he's like sorts. this little like shriveled up dick in the whole yeah. episode you know <laughs> <laughs> so he gets out of the hospital yeah angrily confronts meadow because he believes that meadow has ratted him out for mm-hmm. selling her the drugs turns yeah. out he's completely wrong he goes to get his friend brendan filoni and that's when he finds out that Brendan has been on the receiving end of the Mo Green special and that Brendan's dead. <laughs> Message job through the eye. He says, yeah. it's like everything's so fucking dramatic with him. It's like, yeah. oh yeah, this is a message meant directly for me, you know? Yeah. <laughs> it's like, come on, dude. Come on, man. Get over yourself. <laughs> and I love when Polly's like, yeah. yeah. It was just how Francis framed the shot for shock yes. value, you know. <laughs> I, I only caught that on when I watched it recently. I hadn't uh, ever really like registered that line so up until recently, and I realized, oh, that's hilarious. Yeah, such a good moment because they've they've chewed over Godfather so much at this yeah. point, you know. I mean, the fact that you know, Big Pussy refers to it as in one, you know, yep. <laughs> he doesn't have to mm-hmm. say what movie, <laughs> just not at all. One. It's just a yeah. shorthand. Yeah. Hmm. Right, right. That's where they're at with this. (laughs) So at that point, what Christopher, he kind of goes off the rails. He's really upset. He's ready for war, ready to take it to a mattress. Um, (laughs) Take it to the mattress. Not take it to a mattress. No, he's going to take it to just one mattress, man. Just one. It's a real intimate war. (laughs) It really is. Just one mattress. It might turn sexual at any moment. (laughs) Who knows, man? Take it to a mattress. (laughs) So he's ready to take it. And then I think from there, it transitioned, transitions to what Tony um, and dealing with the paranoia and then also balancing, balancing that with how he's going to deal with Uncle June. Yeah. Um, and so the paranoia is so bad on Tony's end mm-hmm. that he decides he's going to hire a private, de- not a private detective. He's just going to hire a detective oh, to tail. To tail Melfi. He's had yeah. Vin in his back pocket for a while now. It's, That's a it's good clear. point. Yeah. I right. mean, Vin's gambling debts have essentially made him on the Sopranos payroll mm-hmm. for some time already. Uh, he's Vin such McKay's a reprehensible character like i feel like he's one of the grossest characters on the sopranos <laughs> he's introduced like pissing in public yeah, he's just nasty. Of an elderly folks home. he's just so okay. nasty i don't know but it's funny you say that i actually have a lot of sympathy for his character especially Oof. on the rewatch he's so pathetic he's he's so obviously this alcoholic broken down dude but he so badly wants to make like a personal connection with Tony. He wants Tony to be his friend so badly. The way that he instantly like launches into his backstory about two alimonies and all that shit. It's like he wants to open up so bad. And Tony just does not give a fuck about this degenerate gambler, you know? But I don't know. I mean, part of it too is probably like just growing up watching Home Alone. You know, uh, John Hurd. That's right. Mm -hmm. Just, you know, he's such a like warm, funny presence in that. But I mean, he's only in, I think, three or four episodes this season. But to me, this is like his definitive performance. This is what I always think of with him. He's he's so incredible in this season. And it's this really brutal, tragic fall for terrible. This pathetic guy. Nasty human being. He is. You he have is. no time for him. I, I don't. I, no I am sympathy. siding with Tony on this one. I'm just like, yeah, get this guy out of here. Pay he is horrible in this episode. I mean, when he beats up Melfi's. Yeah. Um, and that, like, yeah, let's just like, go ahead and just skip right to that. Because the yeah. next thing that he does is that he tails Melfi. He doesn't even just like watch her from afar, which he no. could do. No, mm-hmm. he's got to go harass the woman while she's out on a date yeah. and then beat up her date. Yeah. 2020 style. With no, yeah, just he's just terrible. It's just, it's all types of nasty and bad. I love when he 
how he steps on the guy to step over him and it, there's this like jaunty little like skip that he does when mm-hmm. he steps over his body mm-hmm. he's just so enjoying like enacting this violence with no consequences yeah yeah, yeah you're right he is a piece of shit like honestly <laughs> thank you he's horrible thank you. even tony recognizes this <laughs> but but that being said like it, it's so telling of this show that even that character you get such like sort of pathos from him though you you understand that he is such a like broken pathetic guy who wants to have a more personal connection with tony and then you know he just falls back on his gambling habit and i mean he he just keeps fucking himself over yeah yeah um i think around now is the scene with tony and livia at green Mm -hmm. grove with the macaroons Yeah, right. it's a small scene. I I think it's just there to sort of set up how Tony is dealing with elderly family members for the mm-hmm. eventual like junior strategy. But what I really like about it is when he opens up the box of macaroons. Nancy Marchand is so good in this. She has this tiny little look of delight. She smiles mm. for one second and you can tell it's her favorite thing in the world and she's so happy. And then immediately she like switches and she's like, oh, they're so sweet. And she's yeah. you know, she's just like, no, no, I don't want them. Oh, leave some out for the lunatics. I think she right. says later. So, oh, you know, God. this way she'll get to eat some. Yeah. She's not going to admit so she hard. wants them. Yeah. 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 That was tough to watch. But yeah, it's a great little moment of acting there when she first sees <laughs> them and how she just like has to shut that down. She has to, you know, put her emotions back on lockdown. Right. <laughs> and Tony is like, uh, I come here to cheer myself up. You think that's a mistake? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so funny. Mm-hmm. So I think uh, from there, it really just kind of focuses on how Tony is going to deal with his conflict with Uncle June. Mm-hmm. Because yeah. I think from there, it moves to um, a scene where Tony talks to some of the DeMeo crime family capos, I believe. Mm-hmm. The lobster um, scene? The lo- Yeah, the lobster yeah. scene, which is great because we haven't met any of those guys or seen any of them before. Mm-hmm. So it's just a good like introduction to... Again, yeah. uh, the the world Larry of the Sopranos. Boy, yeah, I love how I love the imagery there. How it's like every single one of them has this giant main lobster that they're mm-hmm. feasting on. You know, mm-hmm. <laughs> just underlining the the opulence at every yeah. level of this organization. That seems interesting to me, though, man. I, I'm curious about your opinion on this. In it, Jimmy has a moment where he's like your uncle you think he's he's paranoid enough to go to war and mm-hmm. everyone has this like awkward moment and i think the original intention was everyone's supposed to be just a little spooked by him saying war you know right Nobody wants to like confront that but he's so bad in this scene the actor who plays jimmy he's so <laughs> terrible and i wonder if david chase didn't get the idea if he didn't have the idea already that Jimmy would be the rat at the end of the season uh, yeah. by this line. Cause this line, I feel like you could also interpret it in retrospect as he's wired up and he's asking, is there going to be a war? And everyone's like, uh, don't mention that. So, you know, plainly. That is don't... a good question. Yeah. I, I'm curious which one it is. I have no idea. So, I remember listening to an interview with Chase and he talked about how at the end of season one, when mm-hmm. Big Pussy goes missing, everyone thought that was intentional. And Chase was just like, no, that was sloppy writing. We didn't even quite know where he was at. Right. Um, and, and he so, didn't know that it needed to be like resolved as right. this big deal that would be everywhere. You know, he didn't realize he'd set up this huge cliffhanger, essentially. Right. Yeah. So my guess is that you might be onto something. I, I think it's possible that you yeah. could almost read it retroactively in that way. So Chase is just kind of like, oh, yeah, that that did not work out. So why not have this guy be the rat, be the rat. Mm -hmm. I I think that's what happened. It's so funny because it works perfectly having seen it already as, Mm -hmm. Oh, this is the first sign that this guy's not on the level. Exactly. I think it was just a bad performance in the moment, (laughs) you know? (laughs) So that, that kind of brings up something I wanted to talk about with this episode in general, 
with that scene, that's a small example. And then we were talking earlier about the increased role of Adriana and mm -hmm. how she was doing so well that they just kept giving her more material, you know, bigger scenes and, and she's just killing it the whole way through. It's an interesting example in television production of how at this time, especially you could make little adjustments when things were really working in a mm -hmm. series. It, it's something that doesn't really happen anymore on streaming shows now because no. you don't shoot a pilot and then come back. You just shoot the entire season. As soon as you have a green light, you are basically on rails through it and you have to like plan out who's going to be a major character right from the you start. You have to know that going yeah. in. Yeah, you can't give people these little gifts where they keep, you know, increasing the size of their role till they become right. a series regular. And I guess that works more with sort of the tightness and the structure of streaming shows. But you also don't get these moments where creators are really able to capitalize on what they have mm -hmm. episode to episode. I mean, Drea De Mateo is amazing on this show. She's, She's wonderful. A little kind of underserved by the way that we're covering this because I feel like season one, she's still very much emerging. And mm -hmm. then by season two, she's a series regular and yeah. she just has much bigger scenes, much bigger arcs through the whole rest of the show where season yeah. one, you know, she hasn't really gained that spotlight yet, but she is awesome. And uh, mm -hmm. I don't know. I just, I love to see that. I feel like that's something when you're watching television week to week, you can really root for these performers and enjoy them. And you see how, the same thing happens with the show's creators and they're like, yeah, we have to keep giving this person more chances, you know? Mm -hmm. I don't know. Maybe my favorite example of this, just because it was something where like I called it super early on. Uh, it's not a great show at all, but did you ever watch uh, Arrow on the CW? <laughs> no. No, I mean, it's not It's not a great show or anything. I don't know. I, it was something, it's just something that was like easy to binge, I guess. There's this character in it, Felicity Smoke, who... Mm -hmm the actress who played her was so clearly hired for a one minute single scene in a random episode where she is a secretary at a desk who is just like directing someone, directing a major character as to like where to go in an office building. And she was so good in that scene. She popped so hard in that scene that I was like, we're seeing more of her. They're, they're going to bring her back. back. And then in another episode, she's in the same role. And then a couple episodes later, now she's a named character and she's starting to be like involved in the plot. And I shit you not, dude, by the end of season two, she was the co-lead of that series <laughs> from this one scene. And I was just, I felt so gratified where I was like, she was doing so awesome in that one scene. I know they're going to keep using her. And she literally became like the second series regular on the show you felt vindicated didn't you? i did but it was it was crazy and it's like that's the kind of shit i mean obviously that's like you know kind of simple action superhero show and mm -hmm. the production was probably sloppy and that's probably evidence of it on some level but I, it's cool to see in television when these characters come up i feel like that happens on sitcoms all the time too where yes you have your your regulars and then you have people who just like pop with like one line an episode maybe and next I thing mean, you know the show's about them you know that's what happened with family matters right like that's steve urkel right. all the way like yeah. he came in it was just supposed to be a bit role just this nerd that was in love with laura i think that was the character's name and then yeah. like jaleel white just came in and just right. like took that over Oh. And then the show basically became about him. I was going to say, right? that's almost like the dark version of it, where his character <laughs> infected everything and it had to be the Urkel show. Yes. You uh, know? I feel like there's a, isn't there a Key and peel sketch about that in some ways? I think was there? there is. I think there was. A side yeah. character just consumes everything. I think it might have actually been about family matters. I'd have yeah. to go back and see. Yeah. I might be remembering it incorrectly, but yeah, there definitely was a... Uh, <laughs> key and peel sketch about julia white and, uh, and they're such nerds Johnson. you know when they bring this up they're thinking about it in terms of production like <laughs> god so good everyone was just like held hostage by this character the writers are <laughs> like oh no we need like 50 urkel jokes an episode now right <laughs> millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from noom like evan who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds 
Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Sorry. So anyway, to, to get back to it, uh, where we Go for it. the episode. No, no, no. You, you were... I it was interrupting your recap flow. No, 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 no. No, I think we were. So I think from there, like the episode goes to Tony confronting Junior. That's right. He takes the uh, the staple gun. He takes the staple gun to Mikey Palmies. Oh yeah, right yeah. outside the restaurant, um, and then goes and sees Uncle June. Uncle June comes up with a pretty cold line. I love I love the line. If you're going to come back, come heavy or not at all. Oh yeah, which I think is great. And so I forget where it goes from there. I mean, it's just funny you mentioning that because I mean, the stapler gun is a great like low rent sort of a mob weapon. It it mm-hmm. just it just makes everything feel sort of tawdry and like pedestrian, you know, that mm-hmm. he's attacking a guy with a staple gun. But right. at the same time, like I was just thinking, so the entire time Tony's talking to Uncle Junior, Mikey Palmisi is out on the street with out staples cold. in his chest, right. just screaming in pain. <laughs> like uh, I mean barely across the street. I feel like they would have heard him, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. Such yeah. a great scene. I yeah. like that. <clears throat> He goes back, I think, and then sees Melfi a short time later, like a couple of days or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, Melfi gives him unintentional advice yeah. on how to handle your elders. Yeah, Tony like takes children. it to heart. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, like children. Let, Let them, them think that they are in charge yes. because that's what they like. Mm-hmm. Tony takes that to heart. Um, and then I think that's probably, that's his, his, I mean, that's the reason why he goes and he supports Uncle June's candidacy for... For, oh, it for works new boss, so right? well for him. Yeah, yeah. it yeah. does. And he gets exactly, he doesn't get exactly what he wants, but I think it just like, it makes him look, it puts some shine on his star. It gives him a little bit more pull within the organization because I think he gets, I forget what he uh, receives in return, but I think he gets, uh, he gets some Bloomfield in the paving union. Exactly, yes. They don't go into what that is exactly, but you understand that it's like, oh, he's actually getting a monetary gain. He's mm-hmm. getting more control. Mm-hmm. He's essentially taking on more responsibility and also getting more actual authority within yep. the organization. And yep. Junior's getting the title and the respect yep. which is what he craves you know mm-hmm. junior doesn't really care about earning anymore he just wants to be the boss and yeah. it's like in reality he's allowing tony to continue to be the boss you know mm-hmm. with that um so tony really like he he makes out like a bandit in this situation but uh junior is so happy he's so placated yeah. by this yeah yeah so it's got that scene and then i think like the other subplot is uh aj and his conflict mm-hmm. with his classmate yeah. and, you know, the fights that he's getting into. And I think just the ending, the ending is really what I think makes that of some consequence, which is he realizes that his dad is yeah. a mobster after, I don't know how many years of being a, a ignorant of the fact that his dad is a gangster. He finally, Meadow, fig- he doesn't even figure it out. And like Meadow yeah. tells him like, duh. Dumbass. Oh, she's like, so good with the like withering looks. Of, yeah, like, you really don't get this still. Rolling um, her eyes so hard. Yeah, yeah, I love that '90s ass website that she pulls up <laughs> with the mobsters on it, and yeah. it's just like crappy gifs as far as mm-hmm. the eye can see. Mm-hmm. Just with some guns really and poor sound. Blood. Yeah, <laughs> and she Terrible says, "I'll print effects. this out." It's like, <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> Make sure you print out all these gifs. Absolutely. That's great. 
That way you can look at them later, AJ. Right. Yeah, it's so <laughs> 90s, man. Not to mention AJ's rocking the uh, Marilyn Manson shirt. Did you notice oh, that? Oh, yeah. He's a yeah, perfect 90s that. kid. He He's really a perfect is. rap rock shithead. <laughs> <laughs> that character. Oh, God. Man. I mean, it's so funny, though, dude. He... I'm the exact same age as him. And so there are certain freaky things about it. Like I was listening to some of this terrible music at listening that point. Listening to butt rock, school. huh? Oh mm-hmm. yeah. Oh yeah. And, uh, you know, also I was playing Mario 64, like heavy yeah. dude, at that exact time, man. And that scene where, you know, Tony sits down with him and, and plays for a second, totally right. like mishandling the n64 controller by the way right. he's mm-hmm. only using the stick it would not hand. work yeah. at all but uh that being said like i mean that that scene it's still it's just such a russian nostalgia you know i could totally have seen like me being obsessed with mario kart 64 and my dad yeah. coming and you know playing for like 10 minutes in some vain attempt to connect with me you know mm-hmm. uh it just it hit me in the feels man that was a good scene I yeah. like it. Yeah, Gandolfini's like so great in all those moments where he's just trying to be a dad, but it's never overdone. It never mm-hmm. feels like TV heartwarming moment. It's, mm-hmm. it's so good. It yeah. just feels really real. I think the episode pretty much ends with Junior being coronated as the boss. Yeah. Um, Jackie Aprile has passed away, and they're all at Jackie Aprile's funeral. Oh, um, well, we have the great scene at the Bada Bing where they learn. Mm, that's right. Death yeah oh my gosh uh, such a scene is poignant and then hilarious right at the very end so hilarious chris just running in full head of steam (laughs) with his scenarios yes (laughs) and Uh, i i love i love how every member of the crew tries to save him every member of the crew is like dude just slow your roll man mm-hmm. it's okay like this is not the time <laughs> all of them silvio big pussy with just like a hand gesture like yeah. take it down take it down dude and he is not listening he's oblivious he's he just not in stop. his own world i love that he re-edits the end of scarface so that it involves bazookas <laughs> right <laughs> bazookas under both arms i think is what he says right, like- it's like, come on, man. This is, that's so telling of his character that he's like, yeah. I want to do Scarface, but I want to do it bigger. I want to be right. firing missiles at these guys nonstop. <laughs> no need for that, man. Gosh. It just makes no sense, dude. Like, yeah. what are you, Turok the Dinosaur Hunter? Right. How are you firing these many explosives <laughs> in an indoor space? Oh, on. man. Ugh, what a uh, scene. Tony grabbing him by the neck and just instantly having so much intimidation, physical presence. Yeah, he just he just absolutely runs Christopher over in that moment. Mm-hmm. And Chris is like, uh, you're the boss, and you know, just shrinks back up into yeah. his sad turtle state in that <laughs> neck brace. He looks so funny through the whole episode with it, man. He's really, he's doing such a great job with just with his physicality in it. Yeah. yeah. I think also what Tony also makes a, a, he recommits to therapy because I think at the beginning of the episode, he was so paranoid that he wasn't going to continue with it. He tells, at the end of the episode, he tells Melfi that he's mm-hmm. going to continue and that he right. finds it useful. And I think that's interesting because I, I'm going to go ahead and go here, but during the last uh, pod, we had talked about how Melfi ends up firing Tony mm-hmm. because she reads a study about how people with sociopathic tendencies only use talk therapy as a means for their own personal gain, which is exactly what he is doing in this episode. Yeah. And so I remember like, you know, we were talking and we said, you know, hey, why was it such an abrupt end? Uh, why mm-hmm. did it take her this long? And like, it's there from the very beginning, right? This is a classic example. He's just using it for personal gain. gain. Yeah, I get some good ideas here. I Mm -hmm. I think it's interesting too, how Carmela has this big scene with him where she's like, if you stop going to therapy, I have to reevaluate our marriage. And he's like, he's just like bowled over. He's like in the middle of everything else I got going on. Are you fucking kidding me? You got to start in with this. And that threat doesn't really have any impact on him continuing therapy or not. He has right. to wait until it's actually advantageous for him. And yep. 
Carmela can do this and it's just like the way he absorbs it is oh you're just putting piling more shit on my plate right now but it doesn't factor into his decision to actually continue with therapy you know exactly yeah yeah so just a, a tiny little thing I noticed dude but um the salesperson at the landscaping store where he's he's picking up his mm-hmm. uh, pesticide you know who where was he's like, that guy that God. person looks so familiar it's uh, Guillermo Diaz, who's been in a ton of shit. He was Huck on Scandal. If you ever watched that show, yes. he's like the okay, best yeah. character on that show. Mm-hmm. But he works all the time, dude. Mm-hmm. And looking at this, this was before he was in Half Baked. I think they were probably shot right around the same time. But I, I'm willing to bet this was like one of his first roles ever. And he just That's popped so up for like one line there as yeah, soon as yeah. i saw him i was like this guy has a tv face i've seen him mm-hmm. before i yep. know this guy from somewhere but i just could not uh could not remember from where man yeah. so like what's a bunch too that's right yeah, yeah i think i'd seen him on that mm-hmm. too huh so what'd you clock in this episode i mean a lot of little stuff you know mm-hmm. uh <laughs> i love junior's outfit at the funeral because he's he's wearing this <laughs> pinstripe like black suit with a sharp ass fedora, and he just yeah. looks like Al Capone in the fucking twenties. He looks like <laughs> right. three generations past iteration of gangster. So it's just so funny to see. Oh yeah, that's where his head's at. You know, he's the boss <laughs> now, and it's all. I mean, aside from having a fucking Tommy gun, he's just completely looking that part you know being in a james cagney movie or something so i thought that was great and uh tony makes a reference to world war ii which i thought was interesting Mm, yeah people got us through world war ii which Mm -hmm. i think it's chase kind of being a little condescending there where he's essentially saying especially the way tony looks at it these characters live such a black and white existence where they were Mm -hmm. like we were on the good side of things we were fighting evil and now it's like things are more complicated you know everything's much more uncertain you don't really know who your enemies are anymore so it's like Mm -hmm. let's just make it simple for them you know he's the boss (laughs) let them ride out their twilight years thinking that things are still cut and dry man yeah i think i also thought it was interesting when Tony talks to Melfi about the first time that he saw a dead body and just like the circumstances around that. It's so um, tossed off. It's like yeah. at the top of a scene and it gets interrupted because we go into her whole traumatic experience. But yeah, right. I thought that was really telling too. I thought that was interesting if only mm-hmm. because then it ties back to AJ and it's just yeah. like a loss of innocence, right? It's about him having this experience where he comes across a dead body and then AJ mm-hmm. basically figuring like he is no, he can no longer be innocent or ignorant of the fact that his dad does horrible stuff for a living. Yeah, but it also shows the huge gap in experience between them because Tony's saying that he was maybe a year or two older than AJ when he saw a guy who got clipped and he knew why it had happened and Mm -hmm. it's like compared to AJ who you know is playing Mario Kart right he's playing fucking Mario Kart and worried about like his polo shirt getting ripped those are his concerns so yeah he's just not ever gonna reach this level you know we already Mm -hmm. know he's he's not going to actually be brought into the fold which i'm sure is is tony's intention but at some point too i think you also feel like tony probably wishes that his son seemed like a more solid guy and he's putting all of these uh he's putting a lot of pressure on him unduly and unintentionally to be more of his sort of masculine ideal and Mm -hmm. i mean the kid just doesn't have his life experience at all it's totally different not at all yeah not at all and i would say probably for the better Oh, I mean, <laughs> AJ is doing the things that Clearly. kids should be doing. Yeah. Right? Yeah. He's, he's not looking the... at dead bodies of course, in ditches right? in yeah. the Meadowlands. Yeah. He's doing exactly what a 13 year old should be doing. Mm-hmm. Getting into fights at school. Right. Tearing up your clothes. Calling people fart knockers. Manson. Exactly. Uh, the most games. 90s insults. It really is. Yeah. That's the best he could come up with. I, I can't believe that on a TV show where they're dropping the F bomb all the time. That right. is the best thing that AJ Soprano could come up with. Yeah. You gotta do better. Exactly. Uh, Are you're listening to like Marilyn Manson and Corn right now? I'm sure they're right. providing you with quality stream language you could be using. Exactly. You know? Do better, AJ Soprano. Yeah. Do better. Uh, I love the song that plays over the end credits, Look On Down from the Bridge by Mazzy mm. Star. I really mm. like that that track. Um, 
it stood out to me too as maybe the first end credits song that the main characters wouldn't listen to you know before this mm -hmm. it's been mostly more like classic rock blues rock very much on the vibe of like stuff you could imagine playing in the back room at the bada bing whereas this song is much more just about emotion and atmosphere and right. you know i i imagine too it's prefiguring vin's death yeah in the season it's a and good point i didn't sort of, think about that yeah the the bridge is this this symbol of crossing the threshold to death yeah know? yeah man um but yeah really solid episode Polly is awesome as always i love the way that he's deployed here especially because it, it, just like the moment outside of the hospital room where Tony says, first off, Paulie's like, oh, I know where Mikey lives. I can go like kill him right now. And Tony's like, no, if Chris tries to leave, break his other neck. And yeah. like Paulie just immediately shifts into, okay, now I'm watching you. And right. you get that sense that he's this blunt instrument, but he is so loyal. He is so ready to do anything. He's like... He's the ultimate, you know, right-hand man in a crew. He really is. Yeah. yeah. Without yeah. a doubt. Like, he's the guy that you want at your mm -hmm. back in a yeah. bar fight, right? Absolutely. Oh, guy my knows God. what's going down. Yeah. Yeah, he has a moment <laughs> in the uh, the Bada Bing, too, after, uh, you know, Chris is chastised for his Scarface fantasies, <laughs> where he's like, you'll do what you're told when you're told. And that line reading, oh, man. Talk about Frosted Flakes, dude. That shit yeah. is cold. And it's, it's so scary. It's so scary. You just feel like he has told people that. He has been told that. Like, I mean, that that is real life experience just mm -hmm. coming through so strong. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. He's awesome. So you had said that John, John Patterson directed this episode. Mm -hmm. Was it Jason Cahill who wrote this episode? Yeah. And this is interesting, dude. Yeah. He got a WGA writing award for this episode. Wow. Which, you know, a uh, big deal. Very That's cool. a big deal. Here's the thing, though, man. He was not on the writing staff by the end yeah. of the season. A mm -hmm. bunch of people weren't. Mm -hmm. uh, basically, the only people who David Chase retained for season two were the team of Robin Green and Mitchell Burgess who right. wrote they write a ton of episodes across this, right. this whole show and uh, Frank Renzulli who stays on through two, but essentially otherwise he just like wiped out the entire writing staff from the season. Like I, I think they were all like contract players and they weren't actually mm -hmm. hired and he just didn't mm -hmm. bring them on again. Yeah. Um, and I imagine, I mean, people talk about what a strong hand he took writing every script. And so you know, it's weird the way that TV writing credits work, but it's oftentimes like you have your executive producer, your creator who is the head writer, but then people get an individual credit on an episode like Jason Cahill gets the credit on this one. I think right. it's and David Chase. I think he, he shares a credit, but still like he gets the award for this <clears throat> episode and yet what was his actual contribution like what what did chase do to his draft after the mm -hmm. fact it's it's impossible to know but right. you certainly get you get the vibe that there was a lot of uh auteur energy flowing for from sure. chase into the right for sure and they kept it very small like very very small yeah going forward uh green and burgess had worked with uh chase on northern exposure so that was him already bringing on people he knew and uh that does happen a fair amount in the writer's room where, you know, things will get shifted around, especially after a first season, but just to not like retain anyone with the exception of a few people you've worked with. That's, it says it's a intense. lot. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Was there, was there anything else? I don't think episode? so. I don't think so. Oh wait, you know what? I realized last, last recording, we did not give Melfi a grade. So oh, we should yeah. do it this time around. Definitely. So that was my mistake. I apologize. I think this time, oh, apology, yeah. I, my, mm, <laughs> accepted. <laughs> I think this time, Melfi, she does a decent job. Mm. She goes a little bit too far into her own personal stuff. Sure, with Tony, and so I yeah. got to dock her a few points on that one. So she gets <laughs> like a B minus. 
I think the first time I saw it, I thought, mm, really shook my head, wagging the finger at that one. Come yeah. on, this is not the time. This guy is coming in, paying you some cold, hard cash that he probably mm-hmm. stole from someone. <laughs> exactly. You got to respect that. Respect the time. Respect the hour. Yeah. yeah. So uh, what was your favorite scene? Um, I would probably say the dream sequence is my favorite scene. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, huh. I, I like... I like all of the emotions that it pulls. It pulled a lot out of me watching it yeah. just from being like a little bit creeped out to it laughing. really unsettles you. Yeah. It, yeah. it just unsettles you and just puts you in like kind of a weird space. Um, yeah. So I felt kind of like creeped out and then I was laughing, you know, when I was looking at Polly and Syl <laughs> and then, you know, and then you just feel kind of weird seeing Jackie April who looks dead. Yeah. That episode. Yeah. And then like the, the close up on Livia is just like very unsettling. So yeah very much so Mm -hmm. yeah that's probably my favorite how about you my favorite is definitely when tony walks back into the diner and he's like all right junior i came heavy this time but i don't want to use it and he kind of leads him on for a moment you know with the whole the soprano has been waiting a long time to take the reins and then he's like and i want it to be you Mm -hmm. and we go into this great close-up right behind junior where Tony is hugging him and he's grabbing the back of his head and he's like, you know, just whispers like, and you know, I can't be perceived to lose face in this, this whole arrangement. So Mm -hmm. just, you know, give me this one thing. And Junior is so happy to, at this point, he's, he's over the moon about his new position. So, but I just, I love the physicality there. The camera keeps pushing in really tight as like, Gandolfini's just grabbing the back yeah. of Junior's head. It looks like he could just squish his head like a grapefruit. <laughs> yeah. It's kind of scary and in that moment. It is. It is. It's there's there's that that closeness of this huge dude who just yeah, he seems like an imminent threat at all times. And yet he's being so warm here too. He's mm-hmm. he, he's so physically effusive. I and people have said too that usually when that happened, it wasn't scripted. Like hmm. uh interesting. James Gandolfini would just like grab people's faces and like get really close to them and talk to them in this super intense like very italian way you know <laughs> um and it just it, it it's so compelling you know and yeah. uh I, I i think that whole scene the reversal there uh Chianese's work is so good as yeah. always um it just the little like flickers and eye movements as you know he's learning that he's going to be the boss yeah. he's trying not to like just freak out he's trying not to uh he's he's trying to keep it together you know it's it's great to see that whole scene works so well love it yeah this really wraps up that four episode arc and uh the next episode will be standalone and an incredibly strong episode i mean Mm -hmm. everybody loves college but it is fascinating how they finished off this mini arc and that immediately gave them the freedom to go into a really strong not bottle episode but something very contained and cinematic right after yeah and uh you just see the show continuing to hit its stride is it time for name that episode let's do it man all right man you got three queued up i've got two we're gonna do two this time you're always <laughs> i'm always aiming for two i feel like ever since i screwed up i've got to be careful you got to be cautious i've got to be cautious <laughs> But here's my thing, man. If I get one right and one wrong, we gotta we gotta break the tie, you know. I mean, right. <laughs> I, you can't leave me like unsatisfied where I'm like, oh, fifty percent correct. You, you know? might have to deal with it. A failing grade. I might have to deal. <laughs> you might have to deal. <laughs> you might have to go fuck yourself. <laughs> <laughs> All right. All right. You ready? Yeah. Yeah. Let's All right. Do let's it. do this. Okay. This season four episode of The Sopranos finds Tony and Carmela almost purchasing a new home, but ends with Tony being kicked out of the house. It snagged an outstanding writing Emmy win for Green, Burgess, and Chase. Oh, it's uh, Whitecaps, right? There you go. Dude, their whole fight, their whole argument, and Mm -hmm. how it almost gets physical is just one of the great acting moments of the whole show. And I would say of the entire like era of television, honestly. Did you see that reunion that they did? Like the 20 year reunion where like it's got all of them, like Chianese's there, Imperioli, Sirico, Edie Falco's there. And I'm pretty sure one of them mentions 
the moment in Whitecaps where Tony yeah. just loses it mm-hmm. and it's about to get physical. And yeah. I remember Edie Falco saying, I don't even remember shooting that. Yeah. And I was shocked yeah. that like that was such <sighs> a powerful moment. And like it just kind of like it just kind of went through her. I don't know, like I don't know, man. I don't know if it's if it's that she, you know, just like forgot it and didn't like take it home with her or if she was so if they were both so in the zone that they're like i don't even know what we're doing it's at this funny point. because you i know? almost i almost got the feeling that she said i just didn't take it home with me could be that too yeah 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 that that seems like people say that that was definitely her general mo was like she could come in do a really heavy scene and just reset and it it wasn't her you know mm. she could she could perform and then just like switch it right off and she was you know just relaxed and casual again after yeah. wow. which is the opposite of uh of Gandolfini. Gandolfini. Yeah. yeah yeah i look forward to getting to being able to talk about uh falco's performance oh yeah yeah i mean next episode is a huge one for her and yeah uh, it's a big sure we'll showcase. get into it mm-hmm. yeah all right uh number two mm-hmm. all right in this episode of battlestar galactica the Ooh. Cylons return. BSG. Return, you don't even have to say return. that it's the remake. You don't even have oh, to yeah. say. Oh, no, no, yeah. no, no, no. no. Yeah, no, yeah, no. yeah. Not I love all. it. I love it. I love where we're at. Uh, <laughs> in yeah. this episode of Battlestar Galactica. This the is the, the Ronald return. D. Moore oh, Battlestar of Galactica. Yes, just in Come case on. you didn't know. Yeah. Mm-hmm. In case you don't know out there, <laughs> listeners. Yeah. This episode, the Cylons return, return, and return again. Every it's 33. Number of seconds. There you go. 33. <laughs> okay. Incredible episode of television. Uh, By far. One yes. of the best. We were talking about like second episodes a little while ago. And the weird thing about this is it's a second episode after a four-hour miniseries yeah. that functioned as the pilot, which is yeah. very strange. It's really weird. Uh, I went and looked at the Wikipedia page and it called it both yeah. the first episode and then also said it was the it's almost like the second episode though. It's weird. Right. Because like the miniseries is almost like that season point five yeah. in a way, mm-hmm. the way they treat it. Cause they talk about 33 as the first episode of the first season. It's, it's odd. Um, but yeah, amazing episode of television. Yeah. Here's, here's my thing. I know, I know you like the last Jedi better than I do, yeah. uh, but I'm going to go on a little bit of a rant about oh, it. Oh right no. Oh no. So, Oh no. I have this feeling the reason that there's this incredibly stupid low speed chase all through that movie is because Ryan Johnson was so into the idea of 33 where the Cylons keep like FTL jumping in at the last second and everybody mm-hmm. has to like scramble to get away and he was like, "Oh yeah, I want to do that across my whole movie and have like the empire keep or the first order keep hyperspace jumping in and attacking and they have to like get away. But he's like, Oh no, I can't, I can't rip it off. So, you know, just bald facedly. So he changed it to, Oh no, they're like slowly pursuing the rebel fleet and just shooting ships as they get in range. And it's so much less effective, but I swear that was a 33 ripoff dude. And uh, yeah, that's why it's messed up. I will. I will <laughs> you you have the grumpiest know, face uh, right I, now. It's so I, good. <laughs> it's not even because I'm disagreeing. Like I could see that actually right? being the case. Yeah, that's totally the case. And it's bothering me. It's bothering mm-hmm. me so much right now. I don't like that idea. <laughs> and yet it seems like something that could have happened. Yeah. Yeah. Ugh, man, that's just making me all just icky that's- inside. It's just part of the reason I have such a problem with the second act of that movie. Anyway, I don't need to be airing my grievances about The Last Jedi. What am I Oh, doing? no, just air them all. Just go ahead, take them all <laughs> yeah, out. Just yeah. dump them all the out. The internet man. doesn't have enough of that, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, just add a little <laughs> bit right. more salt into that one. Yeah. You want to do one more? Any series, dealer's Any choice. Series. Come on. All right, yeah. okay, yeah. all right. Give me one second here. Okay. Well, you have you have the list I gave you, right? I do. Of the ones yeah, that I could, I do, could possibly do. I mean, going outside of that. I mean, you have to admit, Ooh. saying I could name any title from one of these oh, no. seven shows. Yeah, it's a bold claim, but then also I think. <laughs> 
You're a little bit too big for your britches there. On that one. Oh, that's shit. right. That's right. Wow. Mm-hmm. Wow. We're getting so real right now. <laughs> it's like, oh, yeah, you know what? Just these seven shows. Oh, get the fuck out of here, man. <laughs> that's like over a thousand episodes of content, bro. Uh, oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> I knew you would object to that. You were really, you were fucking with me right now, mm-hmm. aren't you? Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. You're just trying to destabilize my confidence as much as possible. <laughs> so psychological warfare. Psychological uh, I think it's beneath you, and uh, I'm just, I'm so, I'm so disappointed to see it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh. All right. Sorry, I'm taking so long. Okay. Nah. Okay. I'm trying to get a good sense of this episode. I'm trying to distill a nice, good hint for you. Nice, mm-hmm. nice. I like that. Yeah. The hint distillery over here. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Just got some really like finely Ooh, crafted yes. oh, yeah. micro brew hints. I've got yeah. a good one. Nice. This has got a good nose on it. Okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I don't like that at all. <laughs> I did not enjoy that. I don't like hearing about the scent of your hints. <laughs> oh, oh boy. All right. Here we go. This episode of yeah. Star Trek The Next Generation. Ooh. That's right. Takes its title from a quote attributed to the Roman poet Juvenal. The quote being, ooh. Oh, do you want me to stop right there? No, no, go ahead. All right. Uh, The phrase being um, Latin. I don't Mm. don't want to butcher this. Hmm. I don't want to butcher this phrase. Oh, no, it's okay. Go ahead. Uh, Tell me me the episode title in Latin. It's fine. Mm. It's fine. No, I'm not going to. No, I'm not going to. I think I know what it is. All right. Do you know what it is? Is it Who Watches the Watchers? Good job. Good job. Yes. There you go. Ah, one of the best episodes of speculative fiction ever, dude. Uh, Ray Wise is the main guest star in that episode. What a gift he is to cinema. He is. He is is a blessing. Absolutely. So glad that that guy is around. Ah. But yeah, that is early in season three, Mm -hmm. which it's so funny dude with with next generation because season three is not only the season where the show finally got its shit together after two really uneven seasons but it also has like most of the classic episodes of the show in it it's like Uh, it got good and it was just amazing and never really hit that high again afterward how many seasons were there there were seven total. Wow. Okay. And like, I mean, four, five, and six are all really strong. Mm-hmm. But like, if you put together the like classic episodes that people love from those three seasons, mm-hmm. it probably wouldn't even be as many as are just in season three alone. You That's know? interesting because That's I think crazy. the last time that we were talking, yeah, you were having some doubts as to whether or not season one of The Sopranos mm, right. is the best season. Is the best. And yeah. so I'm wondering like pound for pound, episode for episode, Right. Is it season one or is it season two? Oh, I know, man. We're going to have to keep yeah. tuning over it. I, I think I'm going to start watching season two right now just, just to sort of like see how the quality holds up in comparison mm-hmm. again, you know? And we yeah. might have to come back. We might have to do like, you know, a returning miniseries at some later date where we <sighs> go back and say, you know, was that the season or right. is this the season? You right. know? Man. I'm down. I mean, if there's a show to double dip on, it's The Sopranos. Oh, for sure. Know? Yeah. 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 I would agree. But, no, I'm, I'm so glad we're starting here. It really is like the beginning of all things, you know, mm-hmm. if uh, Kate Blanchett was like portentously narrating the story of the golden age of television, like this would be the start. This would be where the ring was created. You know what I mean? <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. I see you just <laughs> casually drop that LOTR reference right there. Absolutely, man. You just can't Always help yourself. I, I really can't. I'm <laughs> compelled to <laughs> like Gollum with the ring. <laughs> <laughs> that's oh, how God. i feel about fellowship oh my gosh you fiend <laughs> yeah all right well to wrap things up uh we so appreciate you listening please uh rate review and subscribe on whatever podcast application you are using do it and, uh, we'll see you next week for uh college
Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.